igniting original concepts. You felt like you were really making a difference for them. Why wouldn't you do that? The biggest challenge you have is not to... You're going to have disruptions all the time. If you want something different, you have to be willing to do something different. You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Gorilla Springer. For your industry, by your industry. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help someone else. The idea that altruism can help improve social connections, mental health, and life satisfaction is nothing new. People have known about the powerful physical feelings people experience when directly helping others for a very long time. In fact, plenty of researchers have been captivated by the so-called helper's high, a term first introduced 20 years ago by volunteerism and wellness expert Alan Lukes after research he conducted with over 3,000 volunteers concluded that, and I quote, regular helpers are 10 times more likely to be in good health than people who don't volunteer, and there's an actual biochemical explanation. Volunteering, in a similar fashion to running, reduces the body's stress and releases endorphins, the brain's natural painkillers. Of course, since then, plenty of other researchers have looked into the phenomenon. According to BMC Public Health, a study by Yong Zan and Kim, researchers from the City University of Hong Kong, found that volunteering led to an 8.54% increase in mental health, 9.08% increase in physical health, 7.35% increase in life satisfaction, 11.11% increase in social well-being, and 4.3% decrease in depression. According to the Corporation for National and Community Service, another study found that older adults who volunteered with two or more organizations experienced 44% lower mortality rates over a five-year period than those who did not volunteer. And according to the Journal of Happiness Studies, research published in 2020 determined that volunteering can actually increase happiness and improve well-being over time. In our interconnected world, providing service and giving back to both local and international communities can not only be a fulfilling endeavor, but also a powerful tool for promoting growth, unity, and a sense of shared purpose. Harvard cardiologist Herbert Benson explains, Helping others is a door through which one can go to forget oneself and experience our natural, hardwired, physical sensation. Now, giving back can, of course, take many forms, and it can be formal, organized volunteer work, charity donations, etc., or informal, helping a neighbor, for example. And in fact, according to the latest Volunteering and Civic Life in America research released in January of this year, nearly 51% of the U.S. population age of 16 and over, or 124.7 million people, informally helped their neighbors between September 2020 and 2021, and more than 23% of people in that age group, or 60.7 million, said they formally volunteered through an organization during the same period. Now, without having access to official statistics around this statement, I have yet to encounter a hair and or beauty business that doesn't give back to its community in one way or another. And I'm sure that listening to this brings to mind experiences of your own. For people within the industry wanting to blend their career and giving back initiatives with a global and almost immediate impact, empowering individuals living in conditions of poverty by equipping them with the necessary resources to not only survive but thrive with a career in the salon industry helps them connect to a larger purpose through the universal language of hair. 
Mandy Pulse, owner of Salon Inspire in Kansas City, Missouri, is one of those people, and that's how the organization for which she's proud founder and CEO, Global Stylist Scholarship, came to life. I've been asked, well, why would you want to travel outside of your community to give back? Why can't you give back in your own community? That's a very valid question. I've been asked multiple times. I would say, first of all, we do give back in our own community. We do a lot of haircuts for the houseless. We do. We go to Ronald McDonald House once a month and volunteer there. We've done lots of drives for different organizations and things. But to answer that question is, in developing countries, there's no governing board of cosmetology. So someone can learn the skill of haircutting and start a business tomorrow doing it and earn income right away. As to where here, that isn't possible. You have to have a cosmetology license. But to start with, it, we were drawn to Guatemala. We were drawn to this free education for people. And we were drawn to where, somewhere where we can go teach this skill and trade and they can earn money next week doing it, which is really, really cool. Fundraising and sponsorship aside, one of the biggest challenges that nonprofit organizations face, I think, is context. Context to determine if their idea would be culturally relevant and appropriate, and if community buy-in is achievable. When you have someone from the community who can give meaningful insight into the wants and needs of the people and cultural practices, it's way more likely that the program will succeed. As you'll learn throughout this conversation... Global Stylist Scholarship's mission is to harness the transformative power of the cosmetology industry and make it accessible to people in developing countries and or in financial need. A tall order, but with the help of Kids and Missions, the organization they partner with in Guatemala, run by Elton Wells and Global Stylist Scholarship's board member Gail Wells, the impact is being felt and changing the lives of both students and volunteers. Mandy Pulse's career in the industry began in 1998. From hairstylist to entrepreneur, educator, philanthropist, and industry mentor, her perspective on being a hairstylist goes beyond the surface, emphasizing the importance of nurturing people both internally and externally. She's driven by a passion for continuous growth, strives to create environments that foster positivity and fulfillment, and is deeply dedicated to giving back to the community. Her philanthropic efforts through the Global Stylist Scholarship have made a significant impact over the past six years, with more than 40 people having undergone comprehensive training and receiving essential haircutting tools, enabling them to establish their own businesses in the field of cosmetology. Today, Mandy joins me on Forest FM to explore what finding her purpose and living it through her work has looked like. And more specifically, we'll talk about how she got in the industry, her first volunteering experience abroad teaching cosmetology skills, the mission, goal, and evolution of Global Stylist Scholarship, building relationships and relying on local connections, ethical considerations and ensuring cultural sensitivity, and so much more. Without further ado, Mandy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. How are you doing? Hi, good. Thank you. And thank you again for having me. Um, this is my favorite thing to talk about. So I was excited to have the opportunity to meet you and have the opportunity to come on here and just talk about something that I'm really passionate about and something that um, I think our industry can be really passionate about also. Definitely. And listen, the pleasure is all mine. Believe it or not, this is this was not planned. Small world, that's all. But I had the pleasure of chatting with Heather Florman, who, of course, you know, because she joined you on your trip to Guatemala earlier this year. Um, but yeah, anyways, I'm really excited to learn more about your journey. Um, you've mentioned you've been in the hair and beauty industry your whole life, but it sounds like something transformative happened to you in February of 2016. Before we get into that, I'm curious to hear about how you felt growing up in the industry. How do you feel about starting there? 
Yeah, so um, that's such a great question. I, I On our website, we're redoing our website for the salon right now, and they ask for a fun fact about me. Um, and I, the fun fact I put was I'm the daughter of a hairstylist and the granddaughter of a barber. So I truly did grow up in the industry, <laughs> living with both my mom and my grandparents. So living in the home of a hairstylist and a barber, uh, I kind of got to see a little bit of everything. Um, that was in the 80s, yeah. so it was at fun times, you know, lots of perms and stuff going on. But um you know, I really never thought I would actually enter the industry. I, as a young person, I always thought I was going to be a nurse. Um, after I graduated high school and started community college, I just felt that I wasn't in the right path. I just did not feel drawn to what I thought I would. Um, and so in the meantime, I thought I would just go to cosmetology school and just kind of, you know, go do hair for a little while like my family did. And then when I was ready to settle down and, you know, start my career that I would go do whatever it is that I was drawn to do. Yeah. And I didn't have the best cosmetology school experience. And part of that was just because of my own, um, my own choices at the time. But (laughs) as soon as I started working in a salon, I truly fell in love with people. Um, So I really loved that part of my job. I've never been the best technically um, brilliant stylist and I'm not a, a super creative hairstylist. I just love people. So having someone sit in my chair, making them feel beautiful, having great conversations with them was always my favorite part of my job. Um, and so I always just thought, you know, I, I really didn't know what I would do. Um, so when you ask, what did I think? I just thought, I'll just do this for now. I'm really enjoying it. I started making some decent money. Um, I worked at a corporate salon, a commissioned corporate salon for 12 years. Okay. And I loved it. Um, most of it I loved. Some, t- You know, of course, in those settings, sometimes you don't love it. But for the most part, it was a really great experience and met some really great friends. And right after that, we um, opened a little booth rental salon, and that's where I met the girl that introduced me um, to the trip that kind of what you talk about changed everything for me. So mm-hmm. um, at that point, I was just like looking to grow my career, looking to serve more people, have fun. I really enjoyed um, growing, and I was growing and making more money and meeting new people, um, just growing my clientele, and that's kind of what I was doing up until the, the the first trip. <laughs> so, so, what did your mom think when you decided to switch careers and become a hairdresser after planning to become a nurse for so long? Like, like was she excited, secretly hoping you'd eventually want a career in the industry? Oh my gosh! Honestly, I was so scared to tell her because I thought, in my mind, I thought that she would want me to do something different or. I'll be really honest. I thought she would think she wanted something better for me. And hmm. honestly, part of what I do in in the position I'm in now is um, Heather and I both, just to kind of go backwards a little bit, are both part of High Performance Salon Academy. And their mission is to elevate the world's perception of the salon and spa industry. And I truly align with that because as the daughter of a hairstylist and as, as a hairstylist myself, even my own thinking when I wanted to tell my own mother that I wanted to be a hairdresser, I was even scared to tell her because I thought she would be disappointed. And that is Oh, it's just, that's got to change. So um, not to get on a tangent about that mission, but it really, looking back now, I did feel that way. And so I really aligned with that mission of changing the world's perception of the industry because you should be proud of what we do. We 
we really have an impact on the world more than people realize. So yeah. when I first went to tell her, I was scared. And honestly, she was so excited and happy. I was, I was very surprised. She, she was very, very supportive from the beginning. So then in Feb 2016, a former coworker invites you to apply to a trip to Cambodia. It was an organization you were saying to me, it was, it was called Freedom Stylist, and they had like a local church in Phnom Penh. Um, your application was accepted, and so that became your first opportunity to travel? Is that correct? Yes. I, I mean, I traveled a little bit in the country, but I'd never been out of the country before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just applied for this trip. Um it sounded interesting to me. At the time, I thought my friend was also going. So I was like, yeah, together. And then she ended up not going. So I went um, by myself. Um, but I met, I, there was, I think, 11 or 12 of us total. But I didn't know anyone that went until mm-hmm. that trip. Um, I actually met one of my best friends who I'm still friends with now on that trip. Amazing. Hairstylist from Florida. She was my roommate. But um, so, yeah, it was life changing in many ways. But um, yeah, my mom was shocked. She um, talked to me about safety and how nervous she was about me leaving, not only just leaving the country, but going to Cambodia, where we really didn't know anything about the country of Cambodia at the time, yeah. um, about the safety there, if, if there was safety concerns or about the culture or anything like that. So, yes, it was quite a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Were you nervous? I mean, your mom obviously was. Were you kind of nervous about traveling in that kind of context? No, interesting because I I not that I wasn't adventurous when I was younger um but boy this a trip changed me in many ways and now I just can't wait for the next adventure in my life but no I was really never nervous honestly and I don't even like to fly in that flight from uh Houston to Taipei is 16 and a half hours long and I still can't believe I got on a flight that long (laughs) that is wild yeah that's a long flight no I don't know how you did it um okay well so, so tell me about your experience in Cambodia because that's kind of what perhaps sparked the idea for the Global Stylist Scholarship Initiative, right? Like, what did you do there? For how long? How did it impact you? Okay, so um, we were in three different cities in Cambodia for a total of 18 days in the country. Um, And that organization um, was under a larger umbrella called Rafa House. And Rafa House has some safe houses in Cambodia. I believe they have one in Thailand, Haiti, that may be all. But anyway, they have a couple of safe houses in um, Cambodia. And so some of the time we spent at the safe houses, which is actually a human trafficking rehabilitation uh, centers. So we spent some time there. And when we were in those places, we, we just did more. We would either cut hair or we would um, just spend time with the people living there that were rehabilitating from being in uh, human trafficking. Mm-hmm. The main objective of that trip, though, was through through the Freedom Stylist Program, and that was part of the Rafa House's agenda, but it was more of a preven- human trafficking prevention program. So in the city of Phnom Penh, they had a salon, um, and I think at the time there were maybe 18 girls that went there. Some of them lived in upstairs, and some of them lived in, in their homes in the community, but if they didn't have a safe home, they were allowed to live there upstairs. Um, some of them were young enough, they still went to school or high school during the day, and then they would come to the Freedom Salon afterwards, and they were learning the skill of cosmetology um, so that they could get a job or start a business to be able to afford to live without getting into trafficking. Um, Right. So it was, 
We went there. It was very organized. Um, we had previously met several times, I believe via Skype back then. Um, and <laughs> just we each had an area we were teaching. Uh, we taught, they had a salon already ongoing. So we were teaching even advanced things, coloring. Uh, we taught a lot of hygiene, taught hair cutting. We could teach some more advanced things because they were already learning. When we launched Global Style of Scholarship, we were just doing hair cutting, and I'll get into a little bit more about why later, but um, this program had people that had, art, had already been learning about cosmetology. So right. they helped. Um, that program no longer exists, but at, I did speak to the um, girl that lead, led our trip, a couple of years ago, it wasn't that long ago, um, and as that program came to a halt, they took any of the funds that they had left over, and anyone that ha- was advanced enough and old enough, they helped open salons for them. So wow. they, I know there was one that opened something like in the market. There was a couple of girls that they ended up getting a small space for and opening a salon. Um, I did some um, sponsorships for some of those girls for a few years. Now they're married, have they work in the salon, own salons. I mean, it's really, really amazing what pouring into someone who has the drive and the passion to want to learn to do this, what yeah. it can do for their lives. Mm-hmm. Were there any significant cultural differences that you found challenging to adjust to maybe? And and how did you cope or did you have any particular strategies for dealing with culture shock? Yeah. Um, yes, there was some culture shock for sure. I'd say the very first thing that I noticed was the time change is 13 hours mm-hmm. ahead in Cambodia. So we had traveled for about 36 hours. And then when we got there, our days and nights were immediately flip-flop. So the first couple of days, I just felt so... Uh, confused because it just felt, I was so far from home. I was a little nervous about that. And then I was just sleep deprived and in my days yeah. and nights were flip flop. So it took me a couple of days to just settle into sleeping normally. Um, and after that, I mean, it was Chinese New I'll never forget this. It was Chinese New Year when we were there. So like we walked into our hotel and there was a dead pig in the, at the hotel with like a big shrine. It had an apple in its mouth. And I mean, it was a real pig in the lobby of the hotel because they were, and they were celebrating Chinese new year and had incense burning everywhere. So that's different. Um, and then also they play music. We were near, um, a temple and they would play music so loud day and night. And I just like, (laughs) I just don't know what is happening right now. Um, but also the organization that we went with really wanted us to know about the culture of Cambodia. And so we went to a couple of, um, before we even started teaching, we went to a killing fields museum, which, um, was from the civil war in Cambodia during the Vietnam war. So we Mm -hmm. learned all about the Khmer Rouge and kind of how their culture ended up where they are. Because at one point, Cambodia was a thriving um, country and not the the developing third world country that people think and see that it is today. It was very much thriving. And there's an amazing movie. Angelina Jolie was actually there shooting the movie uh, when we were in, uh, I don't remember what city we were in, but they had a whole street blocked off because she was there. Her first son is adopted from Cambodia. And so she did a movie mm. called First They Killed My Father. And that movie is very well done. Uh, if you ever want to learn about the Khmer Rouge and, and the country of Cambodia, it is very sad and hard to watch, but very well done. And we learned a lot about... Um, the Civil War, and again, how that 
culture ended up where they were, how a culture could accept human trafficking, how it's very much in their face and how it still continues to be um, very much in your face and not anything's done about it. And why I think it was like, I, I may misquote the, the numbers here, but it's like 60% of their population is under the age of 35 or 45 because so many people were killed during the genocide of the war um, that there's not that many older people left. Um, and those that are alive are very much, you know, traumatized by what happened. Yeah. Um, they, they basically had genocide of their own people um, to try and create what they called a, an agricultural utopian. So talk about culture shock of living in the United States your whole life and then learning about a country and a culture where that's where a lot of a lot of these people either lived through that or, you know, their parents did at least. Mm. Um, and so it's very much still very prominent, um, the, the trauma that happened during that. So, yeah, it was. After you get all the shock of just literally sleeping for a couple of days and then you learn what this this country has been through, um, it really, I have a heart for Cambodia big time. And did you need some time to readjust after your trip, like when you returned from Cambodia? How soon after your trip did you come up with the idea for the Global Stylist Scholarship? Or do you remember? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I... I wasn't home very long, and one of my mom's best friends, um, she lives in, in Guatemala and runs a, a mission house there. And their main mission for in their uh, organization is called Kids in Missions, is um, they teach and train pastors that are living in Guatemala. They teach and train them how to have youth programs in their churches. So she'd been over there a few years doing that. Mm -hmm. She happened to be in town maybe three weeks after I was home. Um, so she, of course, asked me all about my trip and how to go. What'd you guys yeah. do? You know, tell them because it's very right in her wheelhouse. So I told her what we did. Um, and she said, you know, our facility's big enough to do something like that. I would love for you to come teach some of the girls, the young girls in our community, how to cut hair. I think that would be amazing. And with my mom being a stylist as well, my mom was like, wow, that would be cool. Like she'd always wanted to go visit Gail in Guatemala, but just never really had the opportunity or um, I just hadn't made it happen. So that was only, like I said, three weeks afterwards. Um, now, there was no idea of a full-blown nonprofit organization at that time, but it was like, oh, me and my mom could go down and teach a class yeah. and that'll be fun. And so that's what we did um, in 2017. And it was very much a grassroots, like, right. what do we have? What can we get? How can we teach? I mean, my mom and I both, neither of us are, are educators. We are, we've been stylists a long time, but neither of us have been formally trained as uh, an educator. And so we wrote curriculum. We <laughs> created a book and had it translated into Spanish. I took my boys, my kids, my kids were little at the time. And uh, we went to Gail's house and we held a class at Gail's facility in a little classroom on her property. Um, and actually, right when we got back from this trip, I had posted a photo of that first trip. We had six students, me and my mom, one translator. And this last time we had 14 educators, 29 students, and 12 translators. So our group grew from almost 10 of us to almost 60 of us um, in the four trips that we've done. So obviously, like when when you're working with, um, you know, 
owners and salon pros going on these trips now? Like, I'm sure you're looking for folks that feel very much aligned with what you're trying to achieve. So how would you describe the mission and main goal of Global Stylist Scholarship? Um, So I would say the mission and main goal of Global Stylist Scholarship is to provide opportunities for those in developing countries to learn our skills and our trade um, and to to create a better life for themselves. Um, We talked a little bit about this off mic earlier, but it's almost like a secondary um, goal and, and, and mission, but it, ha- it happened to me, and so I had a feeling it would happen to others, but it also changes mm-hmm. the lives of those that go on the trip as the educator. Um, again, when we just talked about a lot about my trip to Cambodia and how much it changed my life and how much it changed my mindset and my mission of, of and and in the industry, but I think it also does that for those that have gone on the trip. Um, I talked about that first trip was just me, my mom, and my kids, but my second yeah. trip, I took two stylists that three stylists that worked at my salon at the time and my mom and I went again and I would say those three their lives have since changed as well and then the you know each time people go I (laughs) we'll talk about this I think a little bit later about the mission moving forward but the third trip when I took a, a larger group that weren't my stylists at my salon. They were more salon owners that I had met through High Performance Salon Academy. Five of the seven of those went again. Uh, this just in 2023, they went again, and I think of hmm. four, 15 of us that went. I think 12 of them said, "I want to be on your next trip." So because of that. I, I see tremendous growth and I can, you know, when people want to come back and they are, they just, they want to be a part of it so much, you know, it's doing something for not only the students we go for, but the people that are going to teach. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To, to, to bring it back to your earlier point about Cambodia, more specifically, um, how you got the opportunity to learn more about the culture once you were there and how that was an essential part of that trip. What about the ethical considerations you might have to keep in mind for your trips to Guatemala? From a cultural standpoint, how do you make sure that your classes are delivered in a way that respects and is sensitive to the local customs and traditions? That is such a great question. I think that's one people have asked me a lot about, are you going to expand to other countries? Mm-hmm. And of course I would love to, but one of the biggest reasons we are in, in Guatemala right now is because Gail lives there. We have a direct contact living in the country who helps us navigate all of what you just said in a beautiful way. So um, Gail helps lead us where we are. And I think moving forward, if and when we go into other countries, I would need someone like that to help me understand the population and the culture of what we're going into to make sure that we come in. Um, because like some of the things just like um, off the top of my head that we have to make sure of is the way we dress. Yeah, We go to a very conservative area of Guatemala. Um, and so, you know, just making sure that we're dressed appropriately and that we're covered appropriately, things like that, because that is part of their culture. If we walked around in some of the things that we walk around in in the States, I just don't think it would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Also, wearing a lot of really expensive jewelry, I just don't feel like that's maybe appropriate either. Also, taking into consideration what they eat, um, just making sure that we are 
are compassionate and kind about the different types of foods that they eat if we don't like them or something that we just make sure that you know we're kind and compassionate about that one of the most ethical things is though is not taking pictures of people in a in a in a way that is um um inappropriate or feels like we're trying to um use poverty as a way to show off ourselves um, and we've had to walk that line very carefully and, and fortunately when I went to Cambodia our team talked about that very heavily before we left um, about taking especially of children taking pictures of children we weren't allowed to take pictures at all in a safe house which was mm-hmm. you know obvious for obvious reasons yeah. but even in, in the in the um, in the uh, prevention program it was like it, it's unethical to just get right in someone's face and take a picture so we ask you know, are, can we take a picture? And most of the time people are so happy with their new haircut or the educators <laughs> are so happy because they learned something that it's not a problem. But I think getting permission is really important. Um, and I think also using the photos in a way that is used to gain awareness and not a means to gain popularity or, yeah. or I don't know exactly what the words I'm looking for, but um, using that appropriately for sure so that it's ethical. Right. Yeah. So how do you determine your students' needs with Gail beforehand? Do you gather the necessary tools and materials ahead of departure? How do you plan and prepare everything to ensure that like, when you get there on the ground, you can make a positive impact from day one? Yeah, I love that question. Um, that has taken some growth and time to, to, <laughs> to get that. And every time we go, it gets better and better. Because I mentioned the first time was a... Uh, you know, a handwritten book we created, we had translated into Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, the second time we used that same curriculum and we just take a hair cutting kit. So anything you can imagine that you would need to cut hair, we take. So clips, combs, uh, brushes, shears, uh, clippers, trimmers, um, capes, water bottles. I mean, we take everything that someone would need to cut hair with. Now the third trip, is when things really started to change because we had a Redken educator on the team. Okay. And she came and just blew us out of the water. So she um, teaches principal-based design, which is the haircutting portion of Redken um, curriculum. And so she came and taught that. Um, she worked on it and translated a lot of it into Spanish. We have a, um, a translator up front with her, mm-hmm. but I just gave her the lead role as lead educator and she kind of uh, gave us all roles. So what, how we do it is there's a lead educator and then the rest of us operate as zone coaches. So each additional educator gets one to three students, depends on how big the team and how big the class is. And so the lead educator will teach a skill and then ask the students to do it. Um, we've also come a long way to where when the students do it now, we have a mannequin with us. So <laughs> Traveled with 30 mannequin heads this last time, which was fun for customs. But the first trip, it, we just used we just used the public. We asked, we went out in the streets and said, "Who would like a free haircut?" And we taught on a person, and then we had the students working on people right away. Um, but now it's much more organized. There's there's we use principal based design, 
for curriculum. We teach it, we teach each skill, and then we have each zone coach monitor their students. We also do th two to three, depends on the trip and depends on the size of the team, but we do two to three haircutting events for the public. Mm -hmm. So we'll go out to the community and invite them in for free haircuts, and it gives our students an opportunity after they've learned their skills to actually do them on people. And that's where the zone coaches really come in um, close to to make sure that each student is doing the haircut right. If not, they stand there and they reteach and they clean up the haircut and make sure that our customers are very happy as well so that our customers don't leave with silly looking haircuts. And the, the students show up to learn and there's no substitute for putting your hands in hair and actually doing the skill even yeah. doing it on a mannequin i mean i don't know how much you've worked with a mannequin but their hair is not <laughs> it does not come out of the mannequin like it does out of a, a scalp so getting their hands in in real hair and on real people and also it teaches us the skill of of uh the consultation right mm -hmm. we teach them how to ask the questions how does this person want their hair done make we take hand mirrors with us making sure we ask at the end do you like your haircut i mean all of those things are also skills um, that we teach so we teach everything from consultation and then on the last day we do a big graduation celebration and we also teach like goal setting mm -hmm. um, which a lot of people in developing countries i never even thought about this they don't set goals because a lot of them are living day to day do i have what i need for today they don't think about what five years down the road can look like and so we have them dream a little bit and set some goals and um this might have been reserved for a later question, but uh, I want I want to just touch on it right now. Um, so one of our girls um, has been to all four of our classes. Barbara, her sister's been to two of the four, and her goal in 2022 was to open her own salon. And her and her sister now have opened their own salon. No so, way. Yes, I. They have pictures of it online. It's amazing. They have two little chair, two chairs, and a little space. Um, and they have a retail shelf, and it's just so cute. I'm so proud of them. I mean, yeah. I mean, stories like that one are so inspiring and show that you're really making a difference. Um, as a nonprofit organization, what do you rely on to evaluate and communicate the impact you know you're making? Like, what are your metrics for success? I guess. Oh my gosh. I don't know the answer to that. I get, you know, honestly, I, this is new for me. Um, so what I would say right now is, do I have people that want to come to the class? Do I have students that actively want to mm. participate in the class? And do I have stylists willing to go with me on the trip and teach? I don't know beyond that how to measure it. Um, I also know, you know, we have we created a WhatsApp group as we've left e the last two trips. We've created a WhatsApp group to stay in touch with each other and to continually yeah. watch our students put photos in there and watch. I mean, they, they keep cutting, they keep cutting, they keep learning, um, they keep trying. And then we've had multiple students who Barbara's been to all four of our classes. Her sister's been to two. There's another mm -hmm. pair of sisters that have been to three of our classes. They're all cutting hair now for a living. So that to me is, is a measure or mark of success when people are utilizing the skills and the tools that we took with them and really creating a better life for themselves. Mm. That's such a great accomplishment. And I can understand how gratifying it must feel and 
how it indicates that you should continue with your work. Um, you know, have you developed any effective strategies for building strong relationships with the local people there? Or like, I know you have a close relationship with your mom's friend, Gail, but do you rely solely on her to build those connections or do you work with translators and others as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, we, I would not be able to do what I do without Gail. Um, at this point, we've created enough relationships where um, people that work for her organization could probably help us because um, I don't mm-hmm. think Gail and Elton will live in Guatemala forever, but I do think they'll be there a little bit longer. But it's helped me understand the type of relationship that I do have to have with someone that is either in the country or spends a lot of time there because things like transportation, things like translators, things like finding a classroom, yeah. things like food. <laughs> When you're, I mean, we, our team was 60 people. So the, the logistics of getting 60 people fed for breakfast, getting them to the classroom, teaching, we, we did separate once we got there into a, an advanced and a basic class. So getting, making sure we had two educators for both of them, then making sure there's snacks and, and breaks, making sure everyone gets fed for lunch. And then on the days that we go to our cutting events, getting, you know, finding those places to go offsite, getting the buses to us to get everyone loaded and getting them there. Um, and then also just making sure everyone gets a good night's sleep, that they're in a safe place to sleep. You know, all of those things take someone that you can trust in the country. And right now, that's that's the relationship we have with Kids and Missions and with Gail and Elton Wells. Um, moving forward, I do I did have someone reach out to me about possibly doing this in the Dominican Republic, and they already. I think one of the things I've learned though is there's there's already a lot of organizations doing something in the country in different countries, like yeah. this, this organization does something like just like Gail and Elton, they do something else most of the time, but they have a facility that they would be willing to let us use for additional things. And this is, sounds like the same thing in the Dominican Republic. Like they already have a facility where we could go. Um, and so I haven't spoke to them enough to know about the logistics of do they have the availability to, you know, get us some translators and, and transportation and things like that. Um, I yeah. don't know the answer to those questions yet, but those are things that you have to rely on someone in country for um, that make this a little, could make this a little bit difficult if you didn't have that. Sure. Yeah. And I can see that, you know, you, you, you light up whenever you talk about teaching and empowering others. Like I, I've been obviously seeing this because we're recording and there's a video component. People listening uh, to this interview don't see that, but you light up when you're talking about this. So based on all the experiences that you've had teaching and empowering people during your various trips, what's the most important lesson that you have learned? What brings you joy and happiness when you think about these experiences? You know, I I had a training call this week, um, and it was called Purpose. It was with people from High Performance Salon Academy, um, and it was just labeled Purpose. And I think it's it's funny you say that that I light up. Uh, I've been told that many many times, mm-hmm. and I think I think that's amazing. First of all, and I appreciate that. I'm a, I'm. I'm super grateful that I found something that does that for me. Mm-hmm. That's something I've always told my kids is, I don't care what you do in life, but I want you to find something that you're passionate about. And while the the cosmetology hair industry always made me pretty happy, finding this part of it really made me feel like I found my purpose. 
And I think that's, yeah. I mean, I just naturally get excited when I talk about it. And I think that that has helped me realize that maybe that is part of my purpose. Um, so I would say, you know, when you feel that excited about something, no matter how hard the work gets, because when we go, we don't sleep much. It's exhausting. I mean, it's very fun. Don't get me wrong. But it is a lot of work. <laughs> I learned a lot last time about leading a team that size. I, I need to define my role a little bit clearer. And we were about 30 minutes behind all day. Our agenda got, it was just harder moving 60 people than I logistically than I imagined. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair. So um, in all of that, even in all of that, exhaustion and like a little bit of confusion and tiredness. I was so happy the whole time. I really was. I just felt alive and, and I just knew that I was supposed to be there. And so if you can find something like that, I mean, do more of it, right? That's what I'm trying to Mm -hmm. do. Um, I've committed to not doing too much of it till my, my youngest son graduates because it is a lot of work, but, um, I just want to do more of it. And, and spread the word about not only this and giving back, but finding your purpose because it does make you happy. Yeah. And I feel like you probably bring that into your salon as well. Like your salon is called Inspire, no? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Honestly, that's it. My former business partner is actually the one that we could not find a name. And she came to me one day and said she saw that on someone's necklace. Because we, we've been round and round about what to call it, what to call it. And that word just resonated with me so deeply. Um, and we do, we do a lot of things in our own, you know, I've been asked, well, why would you want to travel outside of your community to give back? Why can't you give back in your own community? That's a very valid question. I've been asked multiple times. And, mm-hmm. and I would say, first of all, we do give back in our own community. We do a lot of haircuts for the houseless. We do, we go to Ronald McDonald House once a, once a month and, and volunteer there. We've done lots of drives for different, different organizations and things, but to answer that question is in developing countries, there's no governing board of cosmetology. So someone can learn the skill of haircutting and start a business tomorrow doing it and earn income right away. As to where here, um, that isn't possible. You have to have a cosmetology license. And one of the reasons I named my organization Global Stylist Scholarship is because someday maybe I would love to give scholarships to people in the United States or wherever it, there is a governing body where they can pay for their education. Yeah. But to start with, it, we were drawn to Guatemala. We were drawn to this free education for people, and we were drawn to where, somewhere where we can go teach this skill and trade, and they can earn money next week doing it, which is really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Um, would it be too soon to ask about your ambitions for the next Global Stylist Scholarship trip? No, not at all, no. So this is what I was excited to tell you, but I said I was going to wait. So we just had our, our board meeting, um, and ironically, Gail was in Kansas City, where I live, um, for a funeral. She was, <laughs> so she got to attend our board meeting live. Usually, we have to do it via Zoom because she's in Guatemala, but um, she was here live, and we debriefed everything. We went over what the future looks like, and because we do have so many people who want to come back, not only students, but educators as well, um, we're going to do our trip in 2024, our February trip, is, which is what I kind of committed to doing each year. Mm-hmm. But we are going to launch a second trip in 2024, uh, probably in September. We haven't nailed down the exact dates for trip number two. But what we're thinking is um, September. 
Jan or February's trip will be just like the previous trips where we did a a an advanced and a basic classroom. It'll be pretty big. I'll take uh, at least 15 educators. But the September trip will just be for new people. It will mm. just be new students. It will be smaller um, because we want to give the opportunity to people who haven't been before. And if we only go once a year and we only fill up with people who want to come back, We'll never have opportunity for new people to come and experience or learn. Yeah. Um, and so the beauty of the people that have been able to return, I will say, like, for example, I'll use Barbara as an example. The first year she came, her whole intention of coming, her husband is a pastor. Her whole mm -hmm. intention of coming was to just learn to cut hair, to be able to do it in the church for, for no charge and to give back. Now she owns a salon with her sister. But it took her, you know, four years of coming to classes and learning more and becoming more confident to be able to really go out and earn income doing it. So we want to be able to give opportunity for people to come back and continue to learn because there isn't a lot of opportunity for them to learn other than videos and things online. Uh, but we also want to give new students an opportunity. So in 2024, we're going to try and start this continuous regimen of February being a combo trip where we have opportunity for alumni or returning students, which is really exciting, but also some new students. And then in September, really focus on bringing in new people. Um, I really would, I love having educators who have been with me before. So maybe one or two educators that yeah. have previously gone, but also giving opportunity for new educators uh, to come on the trip and then also all new students. So we're really excited about that. Oh my God. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so excited for you. Obviously, I know those slots are going to fill up really quick. I'm um, so grateful for that. <laughs> As for the nonprofit side of things, is there anything that salon pros listening to this could do to help you out? Or should they just reach out to chat? and see how they can potentially lend a hand if they think of an idea? That is such a great question. So one of the one of the things, well, I love what you just said, first of all. If you have, if you, if can you, if you can think of something or if you have skills that would help me, I would love for you to reach out because I am by trade a hairdresser. I don't have a lot of formal education. I Everything I know is like the school of hard knocks, as they say. <laughs> so I don't mind diving in and doing the work and learning. Um, but one of the biggest challenges for me has been learning how to grow this organization just as a grassroots with, you know, just trying to figure out how to build this size organization and make sure I do it right and, and you know, correctly and legitimately and all the things. Mm -hmm. um, I have a great network um, of people who have got me in contact with, I mean, I, I have donations from Sam Via, from Sharkfin, from Paul Mitchell, from, I mean, just because of the network of people that I have, and then also the network of people that they have, we've been able to get amazing donations for our kids. But people with a little bit more experience running nonprofits would be really helpful or anyone that has ideas on how to grow this. I am very willing to listen to and very open to learning uh, what skills they may have that may help me. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this and you have anything in mind, reach out. What's the best way to reach out actually? Uh, probably, I mean, anything on social, uh, of course. Um, and Global Style Scholarship has a Facebook page. It's not super active. Just I was talking a little <laughs> bit about between running the salon and my own personal and um, all the other things. I just haven't had a, a lot of time to do Global Style Scholarships uh, social media, but it is there. I have my own social media, of course, Mandy Pulse. Um, and then also my my 
my email is mandypulse at gmail. I'm totally happy to, to contact people through social or through email. Awesome. I'll have all of that linked in the show notes. Mandy, this has been such a lovely and inspiring conversation. One that to be honest, brought back a lot of memories from similar trips I did at the age of 15, um, trips that were organized by some folks at my school in collaboration with organizations in Cuba and the Dominican Republic. So yeah, I guess thank you for that. And uh, frankly, what you're doing is fantastic. So thank you for being on the show with me. Um, I appreciate you sharing your story on Forest FM for the community to hear. And as for anyone listening, feeling compelled to join either one of the next trips Mandy's organizing, um, please reach out to her directly via email or social media. And uh, yeah, once again, massively grateful for your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me and just for loving this industry and for sharing all the beautiful things that you do. Thank you. Volunteering abroad can enrich and redefine one's life in profound ways. It's not just about giving. It's also about receiving, learning and growing. Understanding your power, privilege, reflecting on your why, and developing a deep sense of cultural understanding, humility, and gratitude. All of which, once brought back to the salon where you work, can contribute to creating a more diverse and inclusive environment for both your team and clients. Global Stylist Scholarship's mission is to harness the transformative power of the cosmetology industry and make it accessible to people in developing countries and or in financial need. And so if I may... I encourage you to revisit Forest FM episode 269, titled Heather Florman on Giving Back, The Pursuit of Education, and The Spark That Ignited a Career, for a conversation highlighting the ways in which Heather Florman, volunteer on the Global Stylist Scholarship's most recent trip to Guatemala, was changed by the experience. To learn more about Global Stylist Scholarship and or donate through monthly giving opportunities and benefits or one-time donation sponsorship levels to support the organization, visit globalstylistscholarship.com. And for those interested in learning more about the Helper's High, the concept I mentioned in the intro of this episode, Alan Luck's book, The Healing Power of Doing Good, explains the relationship between good health and volunteering and the factors that make it possible to allow individuals to maintain their independence as they grow older and face both physical and mental health challenges. Thanks for listening to Forest FM. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. As always, you can head over to forest.com forward slash FM to catch all the latest from the show and check out the links and resources mentioned throughout the episode. And if you've got any feedback, be sure to let us know. Send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Forest FM episodes air weekly sharing inspiring stories from the salon floor and amplifying community voices all over the globe. In your salon, we're at the heart of it. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments.